banter that I have is that, so Drew had, like, some water softener company guy come out and, like, you know, I guess basically pitch us their brand or whatever. Is this for a new water softener or for the <sighs> To get a the new one, because the other one's so freaking old. Yeah. I don't even know how old it is. I didn't even think you were using it. No, but... So our actual, like, main water for the whole entire house is still hooked up to it. Mm -hmm. And last night, when the water heater, or the water softener guy came, it was literally leaking all over the ground. Mm -hmm. But it, it, like, it goes to a drain, so it's, like, kind of okay, but also I was, like, it's just wasting water, and we're Mm -hmm. gonna have to pay for that. And it got some, like, the wood next to that little divider wall. Some of that was wet, too. And I was, like, okay, this needs to get, like, fixed immediately. So after that guy left, I I was like, okay, Drew, like, we either need to just, like, turn the water off Mm -hmm. until we can figure this out, or, like, I don't know. And so, um, oh, you're not eating that wing off. (laughs) And so, Drew, like, went to go to Home Depot to get some things and, like, whatever, and he was just gonna, like, cap it off for now. Uh Until we could figure something else out. So then we try and cap it off. We turn the water back on, the cap shoots across the basement, gets the whole, you know, storage side of our basement soaking wet. <laughs> so then we're like, well, that's not going to work. So we called his parents because we're like, I don't, like, we don't, we've never done plumbing stuff. Like, yeah. not even, like, hooked up a toilet or, like, anything. Like, we've never done any of that. So they came over and they tried to just connect the input with the output. Because, like, we had disconnected it from the water softener, and we're just trying to, like, cap it up until we could figure out how to, like, do a better fix or whatever. Yeah. But then <clears throat> they came over, and they were like, okay, so, like, we'll just connect the, you know, main water just to the output hose that was put onto the water softener. So then it can still go all out to the rest of the house. Because, like, the water softener was there, but it wasn't actually doing anything. It mm-hmm. wasn't plugged in. So it's just literally going into the water softener and going out. But it was, that whole thing was leaking. So then they try to get it to, you know, another Home Depot trip. They try to get stuff to put it together. It was still leaking. So then last night, I literally texted mom and dad and I was like, we might have to come spend the night if we can't have our water, like if we can't get this figured out because Mm -hmm. I'm not going to have our turn on my water just for it to shoot across the whole basement just so I can brush my teeth before I go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, um... We got it to where it was just, like, leaking, like, little drips or whatever, and I was like, okay, we'll just put a bucket or whatever under that, leave the water on to do, you know, the few quick things I need to do to get ready for bed and then turn it off again, and then, like, call a plumber or something in the morning. So that's what we ended up doing, and then this morning, I guess, like, one of Drew's family friends or somebody came over, and he used to be, I think, a general contractor, so he knows how to do everything. Yeah. And he was like, literally just go get these two pieces from Home Depot and connect it in the middle and you're good. So that his parents did that this afternoon, or like this morning, or the afternoon, whatever. And yeah, it's hopefully a good, solid fix. Yeah. But that was literally last night where like, me and Drew are just like, we need to move. (laughs) I cannot take anything else like this right now. But it wasn't as big as, like, the other issues we've had in this house, so. Mm-hmm. But it was just, like, we literally don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with plumbing. Like, that's one of the big things, like, you can't really fix that on your own if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Plumbing is, like, something you can't just be like, okay, let's just duct type everything up. I was like, let's get Flex Seal. I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully it's a good fix forever. We don't have to worry about it ever again. We'll see. Yeah. But that's all that's new that's happened this week. 
Besides, I've worked so much, I only have to work three hours tomorrow. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Today I pet straight Well, cat. two and a half hours. And my coworker saw an armadillo, and I'm really jealous because I've never Man, seen a I've never live seen a armadillo live one around here. I've seen and it was dead like because we were we were surveying for a trail they're putting in along a creek, and he had to go back because he realized he'd lost his wallet, and he, he thought hopefully it's in the car, and he went and he systematically checked every single shovel test, um, not just the ones he dug, all of the shovel tests. Yeah. He found two pairs of sunglasses and his wallet, <laughs> and saw an armadillo. <laughs> a lucky day. It was a pretty good day. Um, but yeah, he said it was just digging little holes in the farmer's field. That's was like, so cute. Ah, so cute. And he said they were incredibly fast. He did not realize they had the speeds they had because they don't look like they should. Have. Yeah. They got little stubby legs. Um, but it's really funny because one of the sunglasses was like one of our coworkers. The other mm-hmm. sunglasses, no clue. Unidentified. <laughs> Unidentified sunglasses. That's funny. That's, that was my day. It was a pretty good day. Ate at a little local restaurant. Today, I will tell you the story of Lizzie Halliday. Um, also known as Elizabeth Margaret McNally. Eliza? Know. Yes. Eliza what Margaret McNally. Elizabeth. Um, which is fair. She's going by Lizzie. It's... Elizabeth might be my next story. I don't remember anymore. But so I got my information from Wikipedia, thelineup.com, and all that is interesting.com. Or all that's interesting. Whatever. Same difference. Okay, so Eliza Margaret McNally was born around 1859 in County Antrim, Ireland. Her family moved to the U.S. when she was young, and it said either the age of three or eight. Those are the two ages. It was not, like, between the ages of three and eight. It was either at three years old or eight years old. I bet there's records of, like, them coming over, and there was a sister. Like, there was another child that was the same age, and one survived. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But there isn't much known about her childhood. I'm going to put this up because I can see it better when I do this. Um, there isn't much known about her childhood, but in 1879, she married, uh, Greenwich? Greenwich? I think it's Greenwich. Greenwich? It's spelled Greenwich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Greenwich, New, New York, York man yeah. named, uh, Charles Hopkins, but his real name was Ketspool Brown. Oh, why didn't he go by that? I don't know. That's so I read good. that name and I was like, what kind of name is that? I kind of like it. Um, it was said that they had one son who ended up being institutionalized, and I'm assuming, Aww. like, living there the rest of his life. In 1881, after Charles's death, um, she, Lizzie, Eliza, whatever you want to call her, married pensioner Artemis Brewer, but he also died less than a year, um, after their marriage. Uh-oh. The first one, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how long they were married, um, long enough to have a kid? Long enough to have a kid who got to the age where they could be institutionalized. Well, I mean, he could have been institutionalized after his That's dad true. died. Yeah. You know, it's an option. But, well, wait, am I stupid? I don't know. Well, yeah, because it, I literally said in, in 79 she married oh, that's Charles. Quick. Yeah, okay. I don't think the child was institutionalized at the age of two, so. Yeah, no. Okay. That's a later in life deal. Well, she might have also taken care of it throughout the other marriages. I don't know, but she doesn't seem like somebody that would do that. <laughs> um, but he died less than a year later. Um, so her third marriage was to Hiram Park Parkinson, 
who left her within the first year of their marriage, so he you know, reversed her. I feel like this, this is a good idea for him. Yeah. Based on so <laughs> she then married George Smith, who was a war veteran who had served with Brewer, who was her second husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think shortly into this marriage, she attempted to kill him by... I think shortly. Now she did. Uh, she attempted to kill him, but I don't know like how long. You haven't caught on to the pattern. Yeah, yet. She I is don't. A black widow. <laughs> I don't know how long they were married before she tried to poison him. That's why I said shortly into the marriage. I yeah. think it was shortly. Um. So she tried to poison him with tea with his tea by putting arsenic in it, but for some reason it didn't work. I don't know if he like saw it happening or just never drank it or something enough. like that. He I don't didn't know. Drink enough. Yeah. Um, and she ended up fleeing to Bellows Falls, Vermont. So she fleed. She ended up fleeing. She fleed. She fled. <laughs> I don't think I can read she it gone. either. My next one also has a bunch of French names, so that's oh, gonna no. be a, that's gonna be a million times longer because I can't read. Um, so anyway, she fled to Bellows Falls, Vermont, where she married Vermont resident Charles Plastel. Plastel. But she vanished around two weeks after their wedding. Um, it was said in some sources that while living in Vermont, she opened a shop and soon burned it down for insurance money. But I couldn't find, like, like not every source said she that. She was only was there for, like, two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, she had so, to meet somebody and then, you know, quote-unquote, fall in love. I don't understand married, how but... back in the day these people really just, like... Men needed wives marrying, or they marrying, couldn't marrying. eat food, Audrey. You don't know how to cook. You know, you gotta starve sometimes. That's not true. They know how to cook. No, a lot of them truly don't. <laughs> Enough to eat. Especially back then. Well, yeah, you can boil an egg. Well, yeah, you don't want boiling eggs, then you fry them. <laughs> <laughs> you can boil an egg. Okay, so in the winter of 1888, Lizzie showed up in Philadelphia at a saloon on... 1218 North Front Street that was run by the McQuillans, who were friends that she knew from Ireland, and they were like a mother-daughter business owner duo, whatever. How cute. Yeah. At this time, she was going by the name Maggie Hopkins and stayed in town for a while. I don't know how long a while was. Most likely longer than two weeks is a while for her. That's true. Um, so eventually, she burned down her friend's saloon, and Rude. she did that for the insurance money. Um, as well. And I guess, like, back then, literally anybody could get insurance money for things like this. And maybe she had some shares in it. Maybe. I don't know. But I feel like she could even have just, like, maybe she had got, documentation she down or her name on it, like, whatever. Money and then was going to kill the women, but got caught for arson. <clears throat> so, where was I? She burned down the friend's saloon for the insurance money and was sentenced to two years at Philadelphia's Eastern State Penitentiary, which I think is still one that's up today. It's, the, it's, and really it's like haunted, the Eastern right? State Penitentiary. Yeah. yeah. So I believe she got out of prison early because... Oh, I'm about to sneeze. Sorry. It's Looking not going to actually right. happen, but... Okay. So I believe she got out of prison early because... She only went, it was in the winter of 88 that she got to Philadelphia. And then in 89, she was now going by the name of Lizzie Brown. And I don't think you can just change your name in prison. Um, And then at this time, she became a housekeeper for Paul Halliday, who was twice widowed and 70 years old. um, And he was a farmer living in 
Burlingham, New York, with his sons. I think he just had two sons. Um, and at some point they got married, uh, sometime between housekeeper mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, they got married, but their marriage was marred. Yeah. Right? I literally, I googled this word to make sure I'm putting in the right stuff, but it was marred by what Paul described as Lizzie's sporadic, quote, spells of insanity. So, within two years, the Halliday's family house and barn burned down, and she was suspected of setting the fires. So, at some point (laughs) around this time, she stole a team of horses and had a neighbor help her drive them to Newburgh, New York, where she sold them. Grand Theft Auto. She was later acquitted for the crime on the grounds of insanity around um, 1890 or 93. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna flash back to May of 1891. So the Halliday house burned down, killing Halliday's mentally handicapped son John. She was known to dislike John. So, she was obviously the main suspect of setting the fires and subsequently, John's death. Subsequently, I can't talk. John's death. So, she was there at the time of the fire and claimed that John had tried to save her from the flames, but they found his bedroom door in the rubble and it was locked. Oh, no. Um, And Lizzie was in possession of the keys. Oh. Tried to save me, so I locked him in. (laughs) So, after the house... Um, burned down. She went and burnt down the barn and then also the mill that was on the property. So she was just getting rid of everything. Might as well. Mm-hmm. For that so after this, she attempted to once again run off with another man, but was arrested and sent to an asylum, but was later declared cured and released and returned home to Paul. I'm assuming Paul had did was Paul able to rebuild or apparently he did because he thought she was just having its spells of insanity. Like, I see. Yeah. So, Paul disappeared that August. Um, Lizzie claimed that he had gone to a nearby town to do masonry work. The 70-year-old man doing masonry work. Yeah, you know. As they do. So, neighbors complained that something was not right about Lizzie and that her story didn't seem accurate. They didn't believe what she said about him or yeah. just anything she said really. So, a search warrant was obtained, and on September 4th, the bodies of two women were found buried in hay in the barn. Sorry, I had to look her up. She keeps getting these husbands. I, I was like, no, she a looker? No. The answer's no. That's what I always <laughs> think, because I'm like, all these black widows are so homely and have a million husbands. But then I'm like, what did the husbands look like? That's true. <laughs> Back then, everybody was pretty homely. They were not. And, and like, maybe she cleans up better and no. this is like a. Well, that's she her, just like, arre- she's literally jail. just yeah. arrested or something. Um, so, <clears throat> two women were found buried in hay in the barn. Both had been shot. Some reports also said that they were stabbed and mutilated, but it is not known. Wait. Okay, I'll get back to that. So anyway, so it said that they, in some places it said they were also stabbed and mutilated, but other places just said they were shot. Mm -hmm. So the bodies were later identified as Margaret and Sarah McQuillan. When questioned, Lizzie behaved in an erratic manner, tearing at her clothes and talking incoherently. So Lizzie was kept in custody and some thought she was faking insanity, which I can see because how are you getting this many marriages? 
poisoning people, murdering others, like burning things down for insurance money. Yeah. And still being and still being considered like crazy enough to, you know, get away with it. I don't know. But so a few days after the McQuillans were found, uh, Paul's mutilated body was found under the floorboards of the house. His cause of death was also being shot, um, but he, let me see if I can put it in here. I don't think I put it in here. But he was said to have been shot too, and that was like the main cause of death, I think. Mm-hmm. But he was like super mutilated compared to the two ladies, at least. Like that yeah. was something I saw. So. Lizzie was charged with the murders and held for trial at the Sullivan County Jail in Monticello, New York. During her first couple of months being there, she refused to eat, attacked the sheriff's wife, set fire to her own bed, tried to hang herself, and cut her own throat with broken glass. I was about to say, how she managed that? But I feel like um, everything's heated by fire then. It's yeah. very easy to access fire. <laughs> so when asked why she did this, she said, quote, I thought I would cut myself to see if I would bleed. Oh, Okay. Um, after all of these events, the prison declared, or decided to chain her to the floor during her remaining months there, because clearly she's a harm to herself and others. Yeah. Yep. So (laughs) while she was in jail, she began to receive, um, national attention. I read that as national anthem. (laughs) And in my head, that's what I read. And I'm so glad I didn't say that out loud the first go around, because I would have looked so dumb. Um, but you didn't immediately admit it. <laughs> well, yeah. well, yeah, but then I was like, but my brain over, yep. overrode so, that. Yep, it, was, it, was, it worked. <laughs> but I was like, did I really type national anthem? <laughs> um, <laughs> every day the other criminals got up and... <laughs> that'd be so funny, okay. So the New York... So this was something that The New York me. world is a... Is a uh... No, it is a newspaper, but there's also another one that says that the New York Times was also reporting. Well, they can both report on the same I know, but I just don't know if they were both, like, actual newspapers or, like, the New York World turned into New York Times or something. I just want to make sure I'm not I understand. But anyway, so it said the New York World in the article, and I did double take when I was writing it down because I was like, the New York World? Like, I've never heard of that. But anyway, so some magazine called the New York World assuming that the article was correct, portrayed Lizzie's case as, quote, unprecedented and almost without parallel to the annals of crime. Annals? 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 Annals, I think it is. I, I've never... That's a word that I read a lot and don't say it out loud a lot. Yeah. I'm scared to say it So, <laughs> the, the world's Nellie Bly, which is another magazine, blog, article, whatever it is, uh-huh covered Lizzie's story and got an interview with her in which she said, um, in which Bly said that she had revealed all of her previous marriages. So, like, leading up to this, like, I guess, like, nobody, because she didn't, I guess she didn't stay in one place too long, so, like, none of the neighbors really know her backstory, like, Uh no, none of the other husbands, I guess, know her backstory, anything. So, like, up until now, like, nobody knows about these previous crimes that she's committed, so, Bly was able to confirm all of these marriages. It was noted that she had a type. She liked to go for older men, quote, like veteran and pensioner. Um, just anybody she could kill off and get money from, I am assuming. You know, yeah. So, Robert Halliday, Paul Halliday's son, told the press that Lizzie was probably connected to the Jack the Ripper murders, which happened in 1888. Um, Sheriff Harrison Beecher... Um, said in 1893 that, quote, recent investigations show that Mrs. Halliday is in all probability connected with the famous Whitechapel murders. 
He based his assessment on circumstantial evidence, so, like, obviously not something that can really convict her. Mm-hmm. Well, back then it kind of could have, but I guess they didn't have as they much evidence was, as like, other in things. England briefly? Um, it was found that Halliday had been in, in London around the oh. time of the Ripper murders. Never she mind. was known <laughs> here um, in the U.S. to mutilate her victims, and Halliday kept bringing up the Ripper in prison. Uh, quote, Mrs. Halliday is constantly speaking of those murders, the sheriff reported. Um, quote, she also talks to many women brought, she also talks of many women brought from New York who have been robbed, killed, cut up in small pieces, and dumped in the Hudson River. Um, so the press dubbed Lizzie as the Catskills. Yeah, they're mountains. Ripper. But no real connection to the Jack the Ripper killings has ever been made. I, I feel like but, she's just, like, obsessed with them in the sense yeah. of, like, their inspiration. Yeah. Or, you know, but then also, kind of like, other people were, were thinking that after she was talking about the women being chopped up and thrown in the river, that she was also connected to those somehow or something. I don't it know. It doesn't... Based on the other killing she's done, that seems... Not... Not her right, style. yeah. So, after finding out that Lizzie had been married six times, and that two of her husbands died less than a year after their weddings, and what Lizzie, and, and what Lizzie had tried, um... To poison another one of her husbands, the mm-hmm. press started to speculate that she was responsible for at least six deaths, which would be the two women. What's his name? Paul. Two women. Her and last then the two husband. Previous husbands. The two previous husbands and her last the, husband's son. Yes. Um. I literally had to do a head count when I was doing notes to yeah. make sure that number was right because I was like six, and then I was like, "Oh, that is right." So, quote: "Whether these men died natural deaths or were murdered is not known." said the New York Times in June 1894. Today I can't read numbers like you normally can't. <laughs> I can never read numbers. I just so, stare. <laughs> um, so Lizzie also claimed to Robert, Robert Halliday, Paul's son, that she killed a husband in Belfast, but had managed to conceal her crime. So that would bring her up to seven, if that is true. So on June 21st, 1894, Lizzie was convicted... At the Sullivan County Oyer. I literally sound like I'm about to cry because my <clears throat> throat is acting so weird. Um, what is that? Yerminer Court? Sure. For the murder of Margaret McQuillan and Sarah Jane McQuillan. She became the first woman to ever be sentenced to death by electrocution by New York State's electric chair. And wow. after her convictions, um... She also became the first known female serial killer in New York. Wow. However, Governor Roswell P. Flower commuted her sentence to life in a mental institution after a medical commission declared her insane. Lizzie was sent to the Mattawean State Hospital for the criminally insane where she spent the remainder of her life. She became a model patient and was trusted with sewing privileges, giving her access to tools, including scissors. Oh, no. Um, rookie mistake. She became friends with Nellie Wicks, one of the attendants at Madelon? this hospital. Yeah, Madelon. <laughs> but she was extremely upset by Wicks' plans to leave the institution. So, in 1906, Lizzie killed Wicks by stabbing her over 200 times with a pair of scissors. Lizzie died of Bright's disease, which is a kind of kidney disease, on June 28th, 1918, after spending almost half of her life in the asylum. And that is a story of Lizzie Halliday, Eliza Margaret 
McNally and whatever other and all of her other names and last names she's had over time. But that is, I thought it was a fun. Trip. Yeah, I liked it. And it's so like there's so much that goes on, but I feel like I've never heard of it. Really, mm-hmm. I probably have before. For, for as but... popular as I'd like, I'm sure every serial killer ever is, has had their story told multiple times over. Yeah, but I don't. I can't stress it enough. I don't listen to true crime podcasts anymore. Well, <laughs> I do, but everybody likes to cover their 70s and 80s serial killers. Oh, like the old timey. I like to cover old timey crimes. I like love I really old-timey like old timey crimes way more than recent ones. I have. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to cover the Shanley Hotel. Shanley. All right. I saw Not the, the Stanley. And, no, I know. I saw it and I said, oh, no, I gotta do it now. That's funny. funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my sources are... You done? <clears throat> Probably not. Just just for the, the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, my sources are the haunted shanleyhotel.com, hauntedhistorytrail.com, hauntedhouses.com, and the New York Times. Is the first one, like, the hotel's official website? Yes. That's most so of this funny. Is, most of this is from the hotel's official website. I they love have, when they lean into that. It's, it's, they've, they've really leaned into, like, the paranormal nature of it, but on top of that, they've, they've gone about it and not the, um, legend way that some places will do. They have, like, like, a, they have a timeline for you that you can follow for, the, like, the entire who bought it, who had it, when, what crazy things happened in town that may or may not be contributing to ghosts in the area. Dogs are barking in the background, but I'm on a roll, so I'm going to keep going. Um. Yeah, it's okay. There was another one where we were talking so much through that I just had to keep it off. Yeah. But, um... And you can't hear them too much in that actual yeah. episode. <clears throat> you know they're there, but it's like, yeah, yeah. they're there. We have Everybody dogs. Everybody has dogs. But it's, it was, it's such a good website that you should just go and, like, even if I've told you all this, give them, give them traffic. Go stay there, something, because it was such a thorough um, history section for this hotel. I No, there's a if, lot of if older I ever ones owned, that lean into the like, paranormal that have big histories. But it was, it was so, <clears throat> Just on so their website. Um, like, the other things were good. They gave me information. Most of that is more for, like, the paranormal side, though. I got almost all of my history from yeah. the hotel's website. They were so <clears throat> thorough that I felt like I didn't even need to look at anything else. Like, I felt like I had written it. Like, it yeah. was quality. Not that I say I write quality things, but, like, they ch- they got to... They went to all the sources. Um, like, written it for work, not for this. I'm more thorough at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, in... 1845, Thomas Rich began building Rich's Hotel on Main Street in Napanock, New York. So Napanock was a vacation destination for the cities in the region, and to help its popularity, the railroad made a stop in the town. So like, it was really easy to get there from the cities. So in 1851, Rich sold the hotel, and it was renamed Hungerford's Hotel. Um, it was touted as one of the most beautiful and commodious public houses to be founded in any section of the country um and this is by rich after he sold it um and then hungerford changed some things like he improved it some this is like rich's new car he's like yes that he did right by my hotel right um so as i was saying um like rich hungerford made sure that the hotel only catered to the most distinguished of guests uh, maintaining the elite gentleman's club um, which is where gentlemen hang out and smoke and drink, and um, there's also prostitutes. <clears throat> That's yes. where a gentleman's club is, in case you don't know. Yeah. Um, um, no, gentlemen ain't gentlemen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, not behind closed doors. <laughs> not behind open doors. That's not very gentlemanly of them, then. 
<laughs> That's why I'm saying they aren't. None of them are gentlemen. Men are all okay. trash. How many times do I need to say it on this podcast? So the hotel is, goes through many, many hands through time. Um, but we're only going to talk about some of the... The hotel focuses on the select people. So I focused on these select people. But they do in their timeline list every person who's ever bought it. Yep. Um, so I know. Being, if someone isn't important, I just leave them out. Yeah. As, as did they. So after being sold a few more times, um, Adolf Wagner bought the house in 1880 and bought the hotel in 1887. Well, um, it is a public house, so you can also see yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> people, here's the thing. People live here, obviously. Yeah. Like, that's how hotels were like apartments as well. Um, eight years after, eight years after he bought it, um, a nearby home in Napanok caught fire and it quickly spread through the town, destroying much of Napanok and including the, oh, um, no. the hotel. Oh. Apparently, the hotel was profitable enough, though, that Wagner immediately rebuilt and it opened up again just eight months after it The gentleman it burned wanted down. it back. Uh, <laughs> immediately. And oh, haven't I covered multiple hotels? There's one that, like, burned down twice and they just kept rebuilding. No, I know, but eight months is a crazy amount of time to build an well, entire no, multi-store hotel in the old-timey times. <clears throat> yeah, that is really fast. Um, that, you know, helps with the railroads nearby, so yeah. they can get what they need in. So, in... 1906, James Shanley, who, this is, ends up being, like, the primary name. It's, it has, every time somebody buys it, the name changes. Yeah. Um, it's had many a name. So, James Shanley, whose family's wealth was in hotels, that was their thing, was um, buying property in hotels and making them profitable. Um, but he, he goes up there. He falls in love with upstate New York, falls in love with Napanok, decides to... This is this is where he's... This is going to be his primary hotel. It's going to be where he's going to live. Um, yes, and here in <coughs> Napanok, in, in the hotel. Um, Shanley adds a bowling alley, a billiard room, and a barber shop to the hotel. That's funny. Um, he was always remembered <coughs> as a kind-hearted, outgoing personality. People liked him. He was just very charismatic. Yeah. Um, in... 1910, he marries Beatrice Rowley in the hotel. The couple honeymoon in Washington, D.C., where Shanley... Romantic. Which, that's where he's from. Romantic. So he's, he's from Washington, D.C., goes to upstate New York, falls in love with upstate New York. Love him Then they go down to D.C. Um, um, they're in the Capitol with a parade. Oh. This is this is how uh, either rich or loved he is. <laughs> And then there's a Skimmerton party that happens, which is where young men make loud noises um, and, like, what? just, like, bang things and yell outside the home of the newlyweds until they're either invited inside or salt is tossed at them. Oh, I'd um, be tossing more than just salt at them. <laughs> right? No way. <laughs> Apparently it was just, it was, like, a fun tradition It's a rich do. person thing, so it's gotta be. Um, either a rich person thing or an Irish thing, because yeah. he's, he's Irish. Um, at the hotel, a um, the couple was known for hosting card and domino tournaments and grand parties and events. Beatrice was known for her cutting-edge fashion, um, her social card parties, and her high teas. Um, the hotel reflected Beatrice's grandeur that she possessed in her fashion, and the rooms boasted Victorian beds with satin and silk sheets. Nice. Which is nice. Rich. Yeah. <laughs> So, one of the most notable guests um, at the hotel was Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, She's and, a good one. Yeah. Beatrice and Eleanor were good Bestie. friends. Besties. They wrote often. Um, they were good enough friends that the 
Roosevelt's had their inaugural ball for FDR when he was elected. They held it at this hotel. Yeah. Like, that's that's pretty good friends if you're like, hey, we're going to do this big, gigantic thing at your mm-hmm. place. Like, they must like each other, and the place must be swanky. Um, so Beatrice always loved children. She wanted to have a large family of her own, but it unfortunately was not meant to be. She and James had three children, all of whom died before the age of five. Oh. Yeah. Um... Esther and John <coughs> Thalman, I think, lived in the apartment adjoining the Shanleys. Um, Esther was Beatrice's sister, and they were very close. Um, but Esther, unfortunately, missed her friends in New York, so they had a mahogany telephone booth installed, and she would wait by it every day for calls from her friends. Oh. Um, other than that, like, she lived, like, a pretty normal life. She just also had that. Yeah. That was also a feature that was fun and different. <laughs> So, in 1918, Esther either died... The, this website, like, the hotel website says she died from the flu. Um, other sources that are more paranormal-based said she died in childbirth, and it was tragic. Um, both things are entirely possible, but I'm thinking it's the flu, since the other one seems... Like, the hotel seems to have more research than the paranormal one did. The paranormal yeah. one was doing the more of the hearsay history than... Like, there are documents for these things. There's definitely documents for Is these people. Cat? Yes. Listen to his little tiny cat voice. He can't be in here. It's too chaotic. No. Um, so Esther dies. She leaves behind two daughters, which Beatrice takes up the lead on raising. So, you know, Beatrice got some kids in a very sad way. Cause she's yeah. obviously close enough to her sister that her sister bought to move mm-hmm. to upstate New York to live with her. <clears throat> um, now we're going to meet a new character. Peter Greger, who was hired to work as the hotel barber while the Shanleys were, um, owned the hotel. He lived in the hotel with his family, which included Rosie, who was his youngest daughter. Um, when Rosie was three years old, she was out exploring and crossed the road to the, um, Hornbeak farm, where she found a wood lid on the ground, and she lifted it up to look down to see what it, what was inside, because, you know, that's what little kids do. They go, what this? Um, and it was covering a well. She lost her balance, <laughs> fell in, and hit her head on a rock and died. Of course, uh, either she from did. hitting her head on the rock or drowning. But she was it was it was whatever it was. It was quick because she was found two years after she was noticed missing. So it wasn't like Jeez. it was a long time. Which is it's that's crazy fast, especially since she fell into a covered well. Yeah, for people to be like, we gotta look there. Um, well, you, I would. Yeah, but if you don't know it's there, kids are always in wells. That's true. Don't, kids, stay away from wells. <laughs> I was never one of those kids. Oh, a hole. Let me go see what's in there. Um, but yeah, yeah. What bug is under this? Ooh, no. it's a well. So in nineteen no. <laughs> in nineteen fifteen, Doctor Walter Nelson Thayer Jr. Um, was backing his car out of an alley that ran between his home and the hotel when his son, Walter Nelson Thayer the third who was five at the time, ran and tried to jump onto the running board, um, which is, I think it was just, like, a weird, normal thing that old-timey kids did. Because it's, like, it's like the... Before you had a trunk, there's literally a board yeah. on, on the back of your car. So he was going to jump up onto it so he could not hold onto the back or ride for a little bit for funsies. Um, he didn't succeed, though. Um, and he fell Man. on the ground, and then he was run over by the car. These kids are so dumb. Uh, he suffered a severe en- head injury, but did not die. So, well. you know... I think he sort of got picked. <clears throat> Who knows? 
Like, I think he lived a life. I don't think he was, like, institutionalized <coughs> or, like, in bed the rest yeah. of his life. Um, during Prohibition, the old Gregor apartment, because the Gregors move away once they're, once Rosie dies, because it's, you know, sad. You don't want to stay where you were yeah. sad. Um, so the old Gregor apartment was turned into the new bordello, because there's always been a bordello. Um, but this is, this is now, it has a special spot, because we gotta get bigger and better locations to do our illegal activities because it's prohibition um so they serve the gentleman's club clientele and the speakeasy clientele that they have now um james hires john powers to bring in illegal alcohol and in 1932 the hotel was raided and both james and john were arrested though neither were convicted because you know james has friends in high places <laughs> Um, James died in 1937, and the hotel was sold to Alan H. Hazen, who ran it until 1971. While Alan owned the hotel, the silent room was made. Oh. It was a place where Alan, after overindulging in drink, could go and sleep it off. <gasps> Both staff and guests knew to tiptoe past the room. That's too funny. Um, the hotel closed in 1991, reopened in 2007, closed again in two, tw 2017, and then it reopened and it's still owned by the owners who run this fabulous website in 2018. Mm. Um, so you can stay there. Yeah. Go there. Stay there. Have fun. Maybe you can go there on your honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Before we do the paranormal, let's go eat. Okay. Back again. Okay. So Paranormal. I hate that it does that, because that makes me think it's messed up. Yeah. No, it, it, it fixes itself. Okay. So a woman... We're just, we're just jumping straight into ghosts we see, apparently. Okay. I, 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 was, it, I think it probably made more sense when we were doing it all through, but now I'm confused, because we stopped between the two ends. Um, well, we there, stopped before you started paranormal. No, I know, but I think reading the sentence sounds insane when you haven't been immediately telling a story before it. Okay. So a woman in early 1900s dress has been seen walking the hallways of the hotel a fragrant perfume has been attributed to this ghost who is believed to be the spirit of beatrice mourning the loss of her children and sister Aww. they have no like i don't think they have like any real reason for that other than she's just a prominent yeah prominent figure um the apparition of a little girl can be seen and she is heard speaking from the shadows and in the hallways of the hotel. Um, this they often attribute to uh, being Rosie. Yeah. A little three-year-old. Um, a boy spirit who is called Jonathan is said to play in the attic. And some people like to attribute this to the kid who got hit by the car, but as he did not die. Yeah. Um, that I don't think that makes sense. sense. <laughs> but I think depending on who tells that story, sometimes yeah. it gets a little urban legend-y and the kid dies. Um, and then that's why it's the kid in the attic. But there is, a little, nonetheless, there is a little little boy spirit. <laughs> um, some say that the ghost of John Powers, the guy who was supplying the alcohol to the hotel, who got arrested. Yeah. Uh, but then pardoned. Um, says he still haunts the premises looking for his confiscated booze. I think Fair that's enough. a little that's goofy. His it's his unfinished business. I'm, I'm sure he got in trouble many a time before. He was the black, black market alcohol dealer. <laughs> Um, apparently a man committed suicide in the blue room bathroom 
after the 1929 market crash and his name is said to be Vincent and he may now haunt the hotel and we'll come back to Vincent. Um, in the 1930s, 21-year-old choir violinist Alfred E. Volkman kidnapped and stabbed um, to death nine-year-old Helen Glenn, daughter of um, Greenville, New York preacher. Um, and he, I, I believe that Volkman was like in the hotel yeah. choir mm-hmm. or not the hotel, not the hotel, the church choir. That's how he knew the child, um, in the Greenville church choir kidnapped the girl. Okay. I don't know the connection to the hotel, but it's multiple places they connect them to the, t- the hotel. Like maybe he went there with the girl and killed her there. That's yeah. what my assumption is, but I haven't found it anywhere because I couldn't access these articles online. Um, like the old timey articles in the newspapers. Um, because I didn't remember my password that day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but they're both, um, Volkman and Helen are said to haunt the hotel. He died by electric chair in 1937. He was, he was caught for the murder and convicted. Um, the apparition of a former cook, a bartender, and a barber have all been reported in the hotel. Um, there's a ghost of a cat that has been seen, as well as shadow figures. Um, there's laughing voices, um, just general voices children doing children things footsteps clock chimes piano music um you know the the whole the whole gambit of clock chimes good especially if they don't have any i really like clock chimes yeah Yeah, that one's freaky that's Um, what i don't think we've said on here i don't think so either that was that one i made sure to include yeah um there's a chair that rocks on its own there are hot and cold spots there are phantom smells of cooking food um, the last thing is there's a number of EVPs that have been recorded, all of which you can listen to on the hotel's website. Oh, that's fine. Um, I didn't actually listen to any of them at the time because I was alone in the house and that is scary. Yeah. But um, I, like, sort of went through and was just, like, wrote down the titles because the title is usually the thing you're supposed to hear in the video. Um, so I'm going to list them off to you. Okay. So they hear whistles. Yep. And they have heard Hear Me Alley. We okay. said Vincent, which is where we get Vincent again. Um, <laughs> we said Vincent, you freaking idiot. Get out of my face. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Don't hurt Anna. Okay. Is that the one that was kidnapped? No. Uh, no, that was okay. Helen. Okay. Um, I did, didn't you? <laughs> it's Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, by the way, I'm reading these in any tone that feels good to me, not necessarily how they were said. Remember, I didn't listen to them. Um, a gunshot, just like literally a gunshot. Um, but there's also gunshot. somebody who said a gunshot. Okay. Both. Both. Um, I want cake too. Oh, that's me as a ghost. Um, no, leave it open. <laughs> Mama, do you remember the dog? <laughs> <laughs> there's so many words. None of these are menacing. No, I'm Jacob. Me too. Um, oh, wait, hold on. It is, I'm Jacob. Yeah! <laughs> that's, and they're that's enthusiastic the about being Jacob. One of them is absolutely not. <laughs> no way! It was murder. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, it's um, St. Valens. The um is in it. That's not just me and my yeah. like quirk. Um, and then there's many other things. I stopped after that, but... It, that's it's, it's what sold me. Those it's this, the sheer list of just like odd, odd little EVPs. <laughs> Mama, I've did had. you forget the dog? <laughs> <laughs> I 
anyway, that's the the Shanley that's Hotel. That's good. Maybe I will stay at that. You never know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, try not to kill anybody and don't mess with Ouija boards. Goodbye. Bye.